0: This is an article from the Daily Telegraph last Wednesday, front page. Wrong time, wrong place. It's about the two um, people who drowned in the stormwater drain um, after being dragged a kilometre from where they were drinking and spraying graffiti. And this is a quote from a family friend. It just happened that they chose to do it in the wrong place at the wrong time. Terrible tragedy. Tragedy. Last week, Heath Ledger was found dead in his apartment. And as news teams speculate as to how he died, so far no one knows conclusively why or how he died. He was only 28 years old. His family described his death as tragic, untimely, accidental. When people die in their 20s or 30s, it is usually surprising, isn't it? It's untimely. It's unexpected, but not so with Jesus who died in his early 30s. In John 19, we read the details of the death of Jesus Christ, and it was not a case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It wasn't untimely. It wasn't accidental. Events weren't out of control. In fact, quite the opposite. John will show us that Jesus' death was planned. It was purposeful. As I was reading and reread John 19, I was surprised at at how unemotional it was. Crucifixion is one of the worst forms of torture possible. And John could have gone into all those gory details, you know, like in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Uh, John could have described all the floggings. John could have described the nails getting hammered into his hands, uh, suffocating as he tries to uh, just grab a breath. Uh, All that happened but it's not described here in simply one line john says that they crucified him it seems that john doesn't want us to feel sorry for jesus John doesn't want to manipulate us with some emotional response john doesn't want to swept off our feet by some emotions that will so that we'll believe something that's not credible you know that you make a decision and you wake up the next morning and in the light of day you think what did i do that for that doesn't make sense John is very calmly, very in a calculated way, simply presenting the facts. I think in this passage, John is appealing to our minds to convince us who Jesus is. In fact, John tells us that in chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Believing is not just a stab in the dark at um, events that are incredible and you just decide to take a leap of faith and believe them. Believing is being convinced of the facts of who Jesus is and then trusting him. So let's put our minds into gear this morning as we think about the events surrounding Jesus' death. As John tries to convince us that Jesus is the Christ. Now what John does to do that is he refers back hundreds of years before Uh, In the Old Testament, where God made promises, and John shows us how those promises before Jesus match up with what Jesus did. Now, before we look at all those details, I thought we'd get the big picture. You know when you do a thousand-word jigsaw puzzle. uh, It helps if you've seen the cover. You get a blue piece, you know that's the sky. You get a green piece, you know that's the grass. You know roughly where the bits fit. Well, that's what I want to do this morning, a bit of a big picture of the Old Testament so that when we see these prophecies, we know roughly where they fit. That's a bit of a big picture of the 1,500 years before Jesus was born. Now, if we go back 1,500 years before Jesus, that's about the time of the end of Genesis. It's about the time when the nation of Israel started. And in Genesis chapter 49, God made some promises to a fellow called Israel. Now, he happens to have the same name as the country Israel. That's because the country came from him. And listen to what God promised to Israel back then about one of his sons called Judah. Genesis 49.10, you can look this up later if you'd like to. The scepter, that means the ruler's staff like that a king has, will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch, he'll wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Now, I don't want to pretend that we can kind of work out who that's about. It's fairly vague, isn't it? I mean, basically, it's about a king who will come and there's something about a donkey and there's something about some blood. Obviously, they've got someone in mind here, but there's no real way of telling who it is. I mean, it could be anyone. So over the next thousand years, God makes more promises. He gives more details about who this king will be. So about a thousand BC, King David, he writes a whole heap of Psalms. They're right in the middle of the Bible and they contain a whole lot more details. They're some of the big ones. Psalm 2 says that this king in the future will be a great king, but people won't want him to be their king. Psalm 22 talks about this king and says that this king will suffer psalm 69 talks a bit more about the suffering of the king psalm 110 talks about the king and we're going to see some of those psalms pop up in john when we get to it but even after all those kinds of promises and prophecies it's still not real clear who this person will be i mean there's going to be a king and they're going to suffer so come forward another 500 years, and we're now right at the end of the Old Testament. And suddenly, you get a whole lot more details. You get things like, uh, we're not going to look these up, but Micah chapter 5, verse 1, they'll strike him on the cheek with a rod. See, pretty detailed things. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he'll come from Bethlehem. Isaiah 9, he'll come from Galilee. Now, on the surface, those two things seem to be contradictory. Is he going to come from Bethlehem? Or is he going to come from Galilee? They're over 100 kilometers away. Well, read Matthew and you'll see Jesus fulfills both of those, but I'll leave that to you. Zechariah 9, this fellow will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Isaiah 50, they'll beat him. They'll mock him. They'll spit on him. Isaiah 7, he'll be born from a virgin. Isaiah 53, he'll be killed and he'll be assigned a grave with the wicked and so on. All these prophecies, like pieces of a jigsaw, with incredible detail, describe God's king. And into that background of promises comes Jesus. And have a look at John chapter 19, verse 18. Here they crucified him and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. Pilate didn't know what he was doing, but that sign that he hung above Jesus was actually very truthful, the king of the Jews. Pilate meant the sign as a mockery, but this sign is saying that Jesus is the king of God's people. And in the verses that follow, John just doesn't want us to believe that with one line. He wants to prove it to us. So John goes through the Old Testament and showing how the way that Jesus died fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. And he looks at four big ones. Once he started to give us the pattern of you simply go back and you look at the prophecies and you see how they're fulfilled in Jesus, you can find hundreds. But John gives us four big ones. You can see them on your outline. And we're going to look through them one by one. The first one is from about 1000 BC. And let's pick it up in John uh, 19 verse 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. Now, Why does John bother telling us that? Why is John telling us out of all the things that he could have picked that they are casting dice to see who will get Jesus' underwear? Well, verse 24 tells us, This happened so that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. The soldiers unknowingly are fulfilling Psalm 22. Turn with me back to Psalm 22. It's pretty much split bang in the middle of your Bible and you find Psalms. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 578. If you don't have one, there's some some spares up here. Psalm 22. It's actually on page 543 of this Bible. So if you have a look down to verse 18 of Psalm 22, that is the very verse that John quotes about Jesus. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's exactly what happened here a thousand years later as Jesus died. But skim your eyes back over the psalm. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? We know from the other gospel writers that Jesus quoted that on the cross. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. That happened to Jesus. Verse 15, my strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Verse 16, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Those words come true with an incredible accuracy a thousand years after they were written. And if it was just one or two things coming true with Jesus, you might think, well, coincidence. But there's lots of them. Now then come back to John with me. Uh, The next scene on the cross is not a direct fulfillment of any Old Testament prophecy, Um, It seems in this next section that Jesus knows that he's about to die and so with the same love that he's shown out his entire life, he makes arrangements for his mother to be looked after by John. But after he does that, the next prophecy comes in verse 28 of John 19. John 19, 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. Now, Jesus knows here that in Psalm 69, which was another psalm that talked about God's king, after it psalm 69 describes god's king as being hated without reason it talks about them giving him vinegar for his thirst jesus would have read these psalms many times knowing they're about him and so jesus says i'm thirsty and straight away the soldiers unknowingly fulfill that prophecy they offer him wine vinegar well verse 31 another prophecy unfolds this is not this is one that jesus doesn't have such direct control over Verse 31, now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. And because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. See, the way that you died on the cross was by suffocation, and you could push yourself up by your legs to breathe, and when you broke the kneecaps, you couldn't breathe anymore. It's just a quick way of finishing them off before the next day. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. Now we're in trouble because there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that said that this particular king from God wouldn't have any of his bones broken, and Jesus is just about to have the bones in his leg broken. Well, verse 33 But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced jesus side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water the man who saw it has given testimony his testimony is true he knows that he tells the truth he testifies so that you may also believe these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken see jesus is already dead so they don't break his legs And yet another prophecy is fulfilled. And because they don't break his legs, they stab him, which fulfills another prophecy, one prophecy after another. And Jesus knows that he's fulfilling all these promises. I mean, as a young boy, as a man, he would have read them over many times, just like we would read Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53. Can you imagine Jesus reading Psalm 22, knowing it was about him? Can you imagine Jesus sitting down at the temple, opening up, reading about God's king being crucified and all the terrible things that would happen and knowing it was about him? He knew it. Remember back two weeks to John 18, we read Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him. How did he know it? He knew it because it was recorded in the Old Testament. He knew every detail. He probably knew it off by heart. He read it over and over again. Now, I think that uh, makes you ask, why? If Jesus knew that he would have to go through all this, that if he didn't find a way out, he was going to be crucified, he was going to be killed, he was going to be mocked, he was going to be pierced, why did he go through it? He could have got off the hook many times. Why did God's king have to die? Why did God set it up to be like this? Why did Jesus go through with it? Well, John answers that question in the last passage that he quotes here in verse 37. Verse 37 of John 19. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Now, that's a quote from Zechariah 12, 10, one of the books at the very end of the Old Testament. I just want you to look this one up with me, too. It's on page 997. or 946, somewhere there, the late 900s. This is one of those prophecies from about 500 BC, one of the later ones, one of the more detailed ones. And this is God speaking, and in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, he says, I will pour out, I'll give you a bit more time to find it there, This is God speaking here. It's interesting because this is God speaking and he is saying that I will be pierced. That is, that is, that is a bit strange that God is the one who will be pierced, but let, let's just listen. Zechariah 12.10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. See, God in Zechariah is looking forward to a day when he will be pierced. What is that about? Well, let's let's skip over just a few verses to chapter 13. It keeps talking about that day. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. In other words, on this day that God's king comes, on this day that God's king dies, on this day that he's pierced, a fountain will be opened to cleanse people from sin. Now, our biggest problem is our sin, the way that we treat God, the way that we treat each other. And God offers us, through the death of Jesus, the opportunity to have our sin washed away to be cleansed from every little thing that we've done wrong. See, Jesus' death, it's not an accident. Jesus wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. The purpose of Jesus' death, promised 15 hundreds of years ago, the purpose of Jesus' death was to pay for sin. And that's why right in the middle of this passage in John 19, the last words on Jesus' lips before he dies were, it is finished. John 19:30 when Jesus had received the drink he said it is finished. With that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. 1500 years of waiting, 1500 years of looking forward to when God would send someone to pay for sin. And now with Jesus it is finished. It's been done. All those prophecies have come true. A fountain has been opened to cleanse us from sin. It's finished. All we have to do is trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross where he paid our penalty. Now, remember, that's why John's writing. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, but more than that, that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, this is not just about knowing some pretty cool prophecies about Jesus so that we can match up the Old Testament and say, yep, it matches up, it all fits together pretty nicely, doesn't it? It's about seeing that Jesus is God's King so that we can believe in him and have eternal life. It's about you being forgiven by Jesus because he willingly let himself bear the penalty for your sin. In January, uh, Jill and I took a holiday to Griffith for a week. And as we're driving around Griffith, there was this Tarago parked on the side of the road with a for sale sign on it. And it was real cheap. I mean, real cheap. Now, the only reason we don't have a Tarago is because we can't afford one. Um, if, If they were cheap, we would get one. This was a bargain. Now, it was just what we needed. It was just the right price, but... Did we go and buy it straight away? Of course we didn't. I mean, it, it seemed just too good to be true, so we did a bit of research. We, we checked out who owned it. We checked it out mechanically. We, we did some um, research on it. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you see a good used car, and there's some, there's some things that you need to look for, so do a revs check. Make sure it's not stolen. Make sure the paperwork matches up. But then, after you've checked it out, If it really is as good as it sounds, if it really is just what you need, well, if it does check out, you buy it. We did. It's out in the car park. Now, with Jesus, when you first hear about him, I think it can be a bit like that. It is just too good to be true. I mean, you can have all your sins forgiven. Everything you've ever done wrong can be gone forever. Clean slate. Not only that, you can know the God who made you. What could be better than knowing the God who made you? Nothing. And all you need to do is believe in Jesus. I mean, it sounds too good to be true. So it makes sense when you hear news like that to check it out. It makes sense to make sure Jesus is who he says he is. Make sure that he is the king. Make sure he does have the authority to forgive you. And that's what John is helping you do here. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But then if he checks out, if Jesus is who he says he is, then you'd be crazy not to take him up on his offer, wouldn't you? I mean, this is just not, not just some used car. This is eternal life. This is the fountain that cleanses us from sin and impurity. So John here is very plainly just laying out the facts of Jesus' death. Just like you might lay out your winning hand in a game of cards to show everyone what you've got, John is spreading it out before us. Here it is. Look at it. It's true. It's all there. Jesus is who he says he is. He fulfills all those prophecies. He's done it. It's finished. He has paid the penalty for sin. And now he offers to you, right here this morning, the opportunity to be forgiven. All you have to do is believe in him. Acknowledge that Jesus is the king. Live with him as king. And you'll have life in his name. You'd be crazy not to take up an offer like that, wouldn't you? These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for Jesus that he willingly gave his life for us, that he died in our place, that he is the only one who can bring us forgiveness. And Father, thank you that you just didn't send him in a vacuum, but for 1,500 years before, you made promises and predictions, prophecies, looking forward to that day when Jesus would die so that when it happened, we would know that it was true. Father, thank you for the way that all those prophecies so accurately um, point to Jesus. And Father, we pray that if there is anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus, we pray that you might convince them through the Bible that Jesus is your king, the promised one, and that he can offer forgiveness. And Father, we who have um, put our trust in Jesus, we thank you so much for him. And we pray that after all that he's done for us, that we would live our lives for Jesus, our King. We pray these things in his name. Amen.